Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. It is my privilege to be here with you guys. You know what I love about this weekend of Winter Meltdown? Here we are. High school only, baby. Oh. As a communicator, you have no idea what that means. On my very first youth retreat as a youth pastor, this little girl named Caitlin fell asleep in the front row. She was in sixth grade. She sat somewhere like right here. And I mean, when I say she fell asleep, I mean, she fell asleep hard. You know, I mean, like open mouth, snoring, drooling thing going on. And um, they were all like, Caitlin, you're being rude. And I was like, don't you wake her up. You let her sleep here in the presence of the Lord. And she did. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, I just, this is a tip. I know you didn't come here. Uh, you, you came here for Jesus, and um, that's it. I know that's true. But I just want to let you know that I first came to church not for Jesus. Um, I first came to church because there were really beautiful ladies there. <laughs> I was like, I got drug in there you know, by like my cousin. And he was like, no, you got to come to church. And I was like, that sounds stupid. And then he was like, no, come to church. And I walked in and I saw, I literally, like like my first time in there, I I was in church and these three ladies walked in front of me. I was in eighth grade. They looked a little older than me. And I, you know, I've always liked a a little bit older woman, you know? (laughs) And um, I was like, hey, hey. And I leaned over to my friend um, who was like my cousin's friend, and I said, hey, his name was Brandon. I said, Brandon, who are they? And Brandon said, don't even worry about it. They'll never talk to you. <laughs> He's like, they're so stuck up. Let me just tell you. Let me just, let me just it's Valentine's Day, so I got to do this. I married her. Okay? Okay? Hey! Hey. Prayer and fasting, guys. Get your game. Prayer and fasting. Okay? Prayer and fasting. You never know. Now listen, do not go slide up on somebody in this room right now and try and be all smooth. That's, that's not why she came. That's not why she's here, okay? Well, really, <laughs> this is going to be a rowdy night. So when, when I came into the Jesus way, I was so blown away. I, 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 really, I joined this Jesus movement thing, and I jumped in, and I, I was so blown away by this family of God. I'd never seen anything like it before. I, I only knew, you know, cliques and tribes. I only knew division. I only knew where there, there were these people and those people. And I, I didn't know this great unifying force of, of the cross of Christ. And, you know, have you ever wondered why we long so badly to belong? Uh, my skeptical friends, I have a friend I'm in dialogue with all the time. He's, he, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's, he's kind of a, one of these militant atheist guys. His name is also Justin. And uh, Justin tells me things like this. Justin says, Justin, you're my only friend as smart as you are that still believes in God. He goes, why do you, why do you still believe in your imaginary friend? And I'm like, dude, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know what him being, you know, me encountering him in my imagination makes him less real, but that's okay. Whatever. Um, I'm like, brother, you know, what, 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 what he would say to me is this. What, what he would say to me is we long to belong because we have this deep evolutionary instinct to form a pack for our own safety. Let me just tell you about this, okay? If the zombies come, if, if they do, 
none of you are fit to watch my back, okay? I can see it from here. Not anyone in this room. I don't trust any of you. I don't have any pack instinct for you, but here's, here's the truth about it anyway. I see something in you, something mystical and spiritual and powerful, and it compels me to recognize the artistry of my creator in your voice, in your story, in your talent, in the way that you move and live and breathe. I see something in you that I can't explain any other way. And so what scripture would invite me to believe is not that I long to belong to this family because of some deep evolutionary pack instinct, but I long to belong with you because I will finally find my home with you as you and I together begin to communicate one to another and, and reflect out to this world the very image of our creator, that we are created by him and for him to bear his image into this world, that we are each a unique reflection of who he is. That doesn't sound as stupid as my atheist friend makes it sound, does it? That sounds pretty great. Um, pray for him. He's back in rehab. It's really not working so well for him. Anyway, um, we long for family, but it, it's, it's, it's broken. It's busted. It's messed up. Um, this world is just messed up. And what we're going to do during this weekend is we're going to explore passages from this really unique story. And um, if you are new to reading scripture, like many people, I, I just planted a church called Terraforma Church. We're only a year old. I'm a, I'm a church planter now. Apparently, we're successful. We, we made it a year. We probably won't die now. Um, we're doing good, right, guys? Yeah. Yes. All right, here we go. This is my... This is the, We've never done a high school event ever. This is our first, this is our inaugural high school event for Terraforma Church. So give it up for that, right? This is awesome. But, um, you know, a lot of people in, in the church plan are new to scripture, and so they do things like pick up the Bible and start in the beginning. Don't do that. If you're new to scripture, don't start in the beginning. Start with like somewhere where Jesus lives, okay? Hang out with Jesus for a good long many years and then you can get the other stuff. But if you were to read some of the prophets, they do really weird things. My favorite prophet, uh, this is a real conversation between God and his prophet. God tells his prophet, hey, I'm mad at Israel and I'm so mad I want you to do something for me. And he's like, what? And he goes, from now on, only eat, only eat food that you cook over a poo fire. And he's like, what? Yes, only eat food you cook over human feces. And the prophet's like, ew. And then God's like, okay, I relent. Use manure. <laughs> yep. It's in God's holy word. It's in the Bible. Um, so this is not that weird, but it's pretty weird. Okay, this is from the book of Hosea. And this is what I want you to get, okay? Why does God do this? Because stories and songs, sometimes you need to experience something in your heart when, when understanding it with your intellect just won't do. You understand what I'm getting at? There's certain things you've got to feel, you've got to experience, you've got to taste. Even, even the word for knowledge in the ancient Hebrew understanding wasn't this intellectual, you know, I know like, like I know two plus two equals four. It was this idea of like an experiential knowing. I, this, my voice is doing great things. 
this experiential knowing, this idea of, of, of coming into, you know, I, I know because I've tasted, I've touched, I've seen. And so what we find in this prophet, his name is Hosea, is one of these moments where we encounter truth and it's put on display. Hosea does a great job of helping us to feel something we have to feel to begin to understand, to know how we relate to God. In our puny little lizard brains, in our primitive understanding, we're never going to grasp the majesty of someone as vast as our creator. And so we have to try and get there, and we have to kind of elevate our understanding and kind of go there with the, with the help of the Spirit. And so he's going to invite us to feel something we maybe can't even really know. Okay, so follow me. So it's going to be a little illogical, but it's going to get this uh, uh, on an emotional level. So here we go. Here's how we meet Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. So this is a northern, and if you know anything about biblical history, this is a northern prophet, and the northern kingdoms are doomed. Uh, like, really. Uh, the Assyrians are coming, and they're in this terrible, terrible place, and it's probably not going to go well for them. And, and God needs everybody to understand just why they're doomed. They, they've mucked it up. They've really messed it up badly. And so listen to the invitation that comes to Hosea. This is probably a shocking thing that God invited him to do. When the word of the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman. My youth pastor told me to find a virtuous woman. He, he, I, he was clear. He said that she shouldn't know the words to any secular songs. And her favorite secular band, if there is such a thing, should be Chance the Rapper. He, and I don't know. Don't, just ignore me. Okay. <laughs> Go marry a promiscuous woman. Have children with her. And listen to this. Listen. For like an adulterous wife, the land is, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. One of the more persistent metaphors you'll find in Scripture is the idea that idolatry, putting something else in the place of God, is compared to this idea of like adultery, like, like you're running around on this. And it's, not, and it's not only because that's a really good metaphor, but also because many of the pagan religions had all kinds of crazy practices. Like, like you would go to the temple and to offer worship to these deities, you, you behaved in really awful ways that were subtractional and part of this hedonistic sexual ethic, just this garbage story. Many, many times it would almost like, you, know, you have to like sacrifice like human children in these places, it's terrible. It's just like, what's happening, okay? It's scandalous. What we're getting at here is this idea that like, listen, we're doing it wrong. We're mucking up the story of humanity. We're supposed to be reflections of the artistry and beauty and the majesty of our creator. We are supposed to be, we're made by him and for him to show his glory and his beauty and to flourish under his love and to go into all creation and spread that thriving force as light and life and hope. And instead, 
we go this way of kind of this selfish, diminished, corrupted, individualistic. This is what Scripture calls sin. This absence of shalom, of, 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 of rightness. It's like we're, we're going our own way. It's hard. Like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, the daughter of this person with a weird name, and she conceived and bore him a son. Wow, that's heavy. What Hosea does really well, um, he invites us to feel this tension, okay? And, and this is, there, there are some things you need to feel. There are some things you have, you have to experience, okay? You have to feel this to really get it. And Hosea gets it like maybe no one else gets it because his life becomes a living example of the very tension that God must live in every single moment. Can you imagine what it would be like for a second to be God? Um, I told you I married that great girl in front of me in church, right? Remember? She's right here, the blonde. Okay, this is what happened first, so I got to tell you a little this is, this is the bad part of the story. So because, now listen, gentlemen, you got to pay attention. This is really important, okay? Because my friend told me she was out of my league, I believed it. <laughs> I did. I believed it. My, my, my friend was like, dude, she's way out of your league. And I was like, okay. And so this is what happened, okay? I had like, you know, Scripture says that Rachel was beautiful and lovely of form. She was a 10 out of 10, desirable in every way, right? You know, she had everything, the whole package. It says that Leah had, like, nice eyes. She had a nice personality or something, right? Okay? Sorry. Okay? I, I got, like, this, this girl, and I, my heart, like the poet, longed for her. Okay? You hear me? And, but my friend was like, she's out of your league. And so I was like, it's okay. You know what, though? You know who's not out of my league? That girl. And I slid up and talked to her. I ended up dating her for like three years, and she was the devil. I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, I don't, I don't I want to tell you the truth. I'm a pastor, I should, right? She was pure evil. Um, she would do things, I did martial arts, um, mixed martial arts in high school, and she loved having the boyfriend that could beat other people up. So she would do things like um, get me in fights with people at her high school, because she thought it was cool. And I ended up like, Okay, you can do that trick one time, and then the relationship should be over, and like a self-respecting human should be like, this is not good. This is, I, this is unhealthy. I feel like you need to see a therapist. I did it like four times, because I don't know what's wrong with me, okay? I'm not okay. Don't judge me. You're not okay either, all right? And then she did this thing where like on my 16th birthday, she... Um, she was playing games with me, and she's like, you know, this is my birthday party, my 16th birthday party, and she had, like, these other guys there. I don't even know who they were. She, like, invited other guys to my birthday party, and then, like, she, like, made out with one of them at my birthday party. <laughs> you know what? This is cold, right? This is, this is, and, like, so I'm, like, all jacked up and weird, so I'm, like, you know what? I'm done with love. I'm done with love. I'm done. I'm done with love. Girls are drama, and they're all mean. You want to know what I should have known? Listen, gentlemen, listen, pay attention. This is good. Okay. Listen. <laughs> Don't clap for that. Don't clap for that. You guys. He, you're still in the tension, okay? You didn't get to the truth, all right? 
<laughs> Listen, there's hope. I'm telling you, brothers, there's hope, okay? There's hope. <laughs> okay. It was, it was weird, and I should have known it was broken, and somehow I didn't. You get me here? And this is the worst part, is I kept saying things to myself like, no, I'll just keep loving her until the brokenness in her becomes beautiful. That's pride. Only Jesus does that. Okay, no human being can do that. Only Jesus can fix something that broken. Only Jesus can, can, can do that. And, but it was all messed up and it was all jacked up. And there's this tension. Okay, you feel this tension? You with me? God must inhabit this all the time because he knows not only who we are, not only who we have been, but who we could become with his help. He knows what we're capable of. He knows the unspeakable beauty that he's placed inside of us by virtue of our created intention. He knows exactly what it is we're capable of. And so what we find in Hosea is he invites us to feel this tension, this, this tension between our created intention and our corrupted condition. Are you with me? So let's talk for this. You've got to feel this. We, we, only, the only way you're going to understand this the only way you're going to begin to know what it means to respond to God and relate to God, to join a relationship with God, is to enter this tension because, listen, you guys have grown up on the heels of a... Gen this is, am I doing this with the microphone? Can I use a handheld? Is it nasty? I don't know what I did. It's not that bad? Should I just, should I just ignore it? Okay, I'm good. I'm just going to ignore it. All right, so... Everybody got trophies, everybody was everything, everything was all cool, and we forgot what it's like to actually look in the mirror and say, that's wrong, that's broken, that's busted, that's not cool. You know what I'm talking about? We have a hard time doing that. So let's talk this out. And there are two words, and they're really important words in the text of Hosea, and they're really important words theologically. And the first one, I, I tried to avoid doing the thing right now where I'm going to use the Hebrew word to show you how smart I am, because I went to school for like a million years to get these degrees in Bible theology, but... I'm, I'm going to do it anyway because I really can't do this. This is one of those rare places in all of Scripture where translators are boggled by how to translate this word. And you're going to say it with me. The word is chesed. God bless you. You feel that? Chesed. Okay? You got it? It has to be in your throat. Chesed. Okay? Chesed is, this is so cool. Okay? This word is so cool. What, what you do in this word, okay, is you take two concepts like love, we like love, we're in love with love, and another concept like loyalty. You get it? What's broken with my high school girlfriend? I've got love. There's no loyalty. In chesed, you put love and loyalty together, and you end up with this new concept. You get love, you get loyalty. Translators translate this really in weird ways. Like in the old King James Version, they used to call it loving kindness. What does that mean? Okay, sometimes the NIV calls it the unfailing love of God. Sometimes they call it mercy. Sometimes they call it covenant love. I mean, they're, they're, they're having a hard time. All of these ideas are wrapped up into this one word. This word means something like, um, like fidelity. You with me? 
It's the glue that holds two people together in covenant relationship with one another. It's, it's when you promise, you know, so when, 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 when Jonathan, the son of King Saul, promises his sword and his bow and his position for the benefit of King David, and he, he exchanges his cloak with that of the poor shepherd boy, this is chesed. They've cut a covenant of favor of of I will be there to help you when you need me, and I expect you to be there to help me when I need you. You know what I'm talking about. Reciprocity is maybe another better word. It's a hard word. You gotta get this. This is what we were created for. It should feel like home. It should feel like family. This is, this is why we were made, because God, in his love, he showers us with this. He pours this on us. He chooses to love us whether we love him or not. You've got to understand this. God will be there when you are not there. He will hold you to himself even when you stray, even when you wander, even when you screw it up. You were made for this. And this, this lovingness, this, this unfailing love calls out to your heart and it begs for you to respond with beauty and worship and love and faithfulness. You still with me? This is so important. Um, you know, like, uh, you think about how our culture is obsessed with, like, the image of these five friends. They roll up on the scene. You know, like, your, your, your posse, your crew, your squad, your cadre, your squadre, right? Something like that. You know, you roll up, and it's like, hey, we're here, you know, yo. You know, um, like, Fast and the Furious and The Walking Dead and The Sons of Anarchy and every movie that's ever been made about teenagers and... Um, you know, this idea, like we're, we're obsessed with this moment where we all in one mission together have each other's backs. That's some shadow of this concept that we're built for this faithful love. And this is the problem. We aren't very faithful. We really have a hard time with this. Love is about feelings, and in our culture... When the feeling fades, so does the love, so does the loyalty. It's gone. I fell in love like I fell in a puddle, and I'll just easily fall in another puddle next week, and I'll feel it about somebody else tomorrow. And many of you, that's, this, is, this is the status of your family. We're here talking about the family of Jesus, and you're like, well, this is broken. I've just, this isn't a good metaphor for me. That, that, that triggers me, and it causes me pain. This is a problem. See, our created intention, we were created good to reflect the very image of God, but then we have this experience of this corrupted condition, and it thoroughly and completely corrupts everything. The other word that I want you to get, and I want you to hold it opposite of hesed, the word is rejection. I don't know the Hebrew word for rejection. I must have missed that day in seminary. Okay? It wouldn't matter anyway, because rejection, you listen, you feel it. You know what I'm talking about? Valentine's Day, 1990, okay? I walked across the cafeteria of my elementary school. I spent like $18 in quarters at this pizza shop down the road for the claw machine. You know the claw machine? Biggest scam in the world, right? But I got it. I, got, I finally, after $18 of claw machine spending, got my prize in the back left corner, deep, buried in that, underneath a bunch of other stuffed animals that were inconsequential was a hippo with love on his tummy. 
You know what I'm talking about? I get the love hippo. It comes back. The claw machine drops it right on the ledge, and I think for a second, oh, no, my love hippo. <laughs> but it falls my way, right? I reach my hand in like a conquering king to pull out my prize, and I lift it high. This is the token that will win me the undying love of that girl named Erica. And I walk across the cafeteria, proud as a peacock, and I present Erica with the love hippo. And I say to Erica, I know we're just in fifth grade, but will you accept this grand gesture of chesed <laughs> and be my girlfriend? And what does Erica say? No. no, this is what she said. This is what she said. Ew. <laughs> Did you feel that? Okay, stop, stop. Lock it up right now. Put this feeling in a bottle. This is what I need you to feel. This is what the story of Hosea is about. This is where God lives all the time. You feel this? You feel this? Now, this is the thing. What I did was I threw the love hippo in the, in the garbage, and I sulked for the rest of recess. But don't worry, I have my squadre. They came around me and they said, dude, good on you, man. You, I don't have that much bravery. Let's go. Girls are dumb. And we moved on with our lives. Okay? Girls. But you know what? Not all of them. Not all of them. She's, she's guys, she's right here. Mother of my children. Okay? Are you with me on this? All right. Last story and then we're done tonight. This is, this is, this is big. Okay? If you read the primeval prologue of Scripture, the story in Hosea, man, it's been happening. It happens all the time. It's still our story. It's a universal story. In the primeval prologue of Scripture, you get these other stories where Adam and Eve reject their dependence on God for this independence, this, this moral anarchy. I don't need you. I, I, I don't need you. Ew, right? It's this God has done everything for them, and they reject him. He's done everything. He's shown them all the love. He's closed all the distance. He's created for them everything. It's paradise, and they say no. In the very next story, as you see chaos unleashed, and, and the very fabric of the universe is, is breaking around them. I mean, they're, they're destroying everything that is, that is beautiful about the very creation of God because of sin and selfishness. We get this moment where the very two first brothers, okay, these are like, symbols of, of, of all relationships here. You know what I'm talking about? This is like this, this primeval idea of why our things are the way we are. Why do we struggle with simple things like kindness? Why is it so hard to show love and care and concern, to, to do a selfless thing and not a selfish thing? Why is it when circumstances are right, people do wrong? Listen to how this goes down with Cain. I'm in the book of Genesis now. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. If you don't know what that's about, ask your mother later. She'll love to tell you about it. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So we have now Cain and Abel. These are brothers. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits or the, the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering 
But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, people make a lot of the offerings and why did God like this one and not like that one. That isn't the point. The point here is one human has outshined another human. And now we have a choice. Will I recognize the image of God in my brother? Or will I say, no, you're my enemy. You're my rival. Will I allow myself to acknowledge this mutual submission and beautiful interdependence required of community, unity, togetherness, covenant, chesed? Will I be faithful to him? And Cain struggles to do that. Envy takes root in his heart and it twists his soul and pretty soon the dark thoughts that are growing inside of him sink down and they manifest themselves as violence against someone. And the very image of God reflected back in the eyes of his brother, Cain strikes out at them. Cain was very angry and his face was downcast And the Lord said to Cain, listen, all through this primeval prologue of Scripture, these these stories, God is asking questions of humanity, and they're universal questions. When Adam and Eve hide from God and alienate themselves from him in shame because of their sin, he knows exactly where they are, he knows exactly what they need, and he says to them, where are you? Not because he doesn't know, because they need to ask that kind of question. They need to to locate themselves spiritually. They need to find themselves in terms of of truth and this cosmic sense of their relationship with God. They've broken, they've fractured, they've messed up this beautiful thing that they had, the harmony they had with God. And here, God's asking these spiritually seeking questions. What's, What's going on in you, dude? What are you feeling? Why is your face so downcast? Why are you angry? And listen to what he says. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Like do whatever's happening in your heart. You have this choice. You have this thing inside of you. I've got the freedom to choose to respond. Remember, chesed, it comes to you and it, it, it invites you to respond to it. The faithfulness of God is yours. The love of God is yours. It's, it's there. It's in front of you for all of us. We have to respond. And Cain makes the wrong choice. Listen to what he says. I mean, God's like begging with him to get this. If you don't do what's right, listen to what he says. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. And you've got to master it. It wants to rule you, and you've got to rule it. You can't, you can't lose this fight. This is the struggle. Why would God ask a prophet to marry a wayward woman as some kind of prophetic act to put on display this cosmic drama of our wandering hearts? Why would God create us with this unspeakable potential for good and also give us this Terrible potential for evil. Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. 
And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? He said the same thing to Adam and Eve, where are you? Now he says, where is your brother? And I, I think this is the most sad thing. I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? I choose to go it alone. I don't need him. He's not my family. This first family puts in such great display this tension between our created intention and our corrupted condition. Um, here's what I'm going to leave you with, okay? Why does God do this? I mean, what's up with God? I mean, seriously. This has been one of those things my atheist friend asks me all the time. He says, why would God create the world so good and then allow this kind of loophole? He's like, he's the designer of the Death Star. He like left the thermal exhaust port wide open. And I was like, that's a pretty good metaphor, dude. Um, listen, here's, here's the thing. Um, God gave them the same thing he gives us, this beautiful idea of choice. Now listen to me on this. The God who created everything, the one who spoke everything into existence with song and poetry, life and light, there's one thing he can't do. He can't make you love him. He could make you obey him. You'd be a puppet. You'd be a robot. See, but this Hebrew idea of covenant love, chesed, it's an act of the will. You have to choose it. And if you're not free to reject it, then you're not free to choose it. Are you with me? Now this, this thing he did, I need you to understand this. By making all of us free to reject it, he's also made all of us free to respond to it. This makes him so unspeakably lovable to me. In the very heart of the scriptural story, you know, when, when, when they asked Jesus, what's this whole thing about? He didn't say, get it right, follow all the rules, and make sure you don't screw up with the big guy upstairs. He said, no, all that stuff comes down to one thing, love. Will you love God with everything? Will you respond to his unfailing love, his covenant love, his, 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 the love that seeks you when you're at your worst, the love that believes the best about you, though you don't deserve it, the love, the love that sees who you can become with his help, not just who you are today or who you have been before, but who you could become as you flourish and thrive under his care. Will you recognize that love and will you respond to that love with the love of your own? And the one thing God wants from you is the one thing he has made himself powerless to compel you to give him. 
How awesome is that? That the king of heaven and earth would place himself at your mercy. Think about that. I don't think this diminishes the glory of God in any way. I think this makes him all the more glorious. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Um, this weekend, let us sit in this tension. So beautifully illustrated by the prophet Hosea, so tragically demonstrated by the first human stories. This tension that we feel in our hearts, we recognize it in these moments of rejection. We, we hear the invitation to respond from your spirit. God, let us find the courage this weekend to return your love. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.